marketing. Drunk marketing. Drunk marketing. Drunk marketing. We did have a very big weekend. The it was fun. Marketing team <laughs> did some outings. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a fun weekend. I mean, it started on Friday with going to Hamilton up in Cleveland, which was an amazing show as expected. And uh, yeah, it did not disappoint. No, yeah, it was that was great. And we ended up going to Pride on Saturday um, up in Akron, which was cool. We were a little worn out um, from the night before and and all that jazz, but. Excuse me, we uh, we had fun there, and then we ended up uh, Saturday night going to see Car- Carmina Barana at uh, the at Blossom Music Center. It was the Cleveland Orchestra doing it, so that's the, uh, I'm not going to sing it, it's not it's not worth me singing, that won't help anyone know what it is, but if you know what it is, you know it's super dramatic, like vampire music almost. No, um, not almost. Yeah. It's the, the backdrop of like all of the vampire movies i think yeah exactly besides maybe twilight but um <laughs> but yeah so that that was cool and i think i think we have to unpack a little bit about what happened at the, <laughs> what we saw really and it has nothing to do with the music we had some, um, good, la- we had some good laughs yeah throughout this entire weekend for sure yeah i mean just specifically let's talk about the orchestra crowd because that was something like that I'd, a niche of society that I didn't know existed, but now it's, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It was it was mostly older people, like not just like people over fifty, like mostly people over seventy. Um, <laughs> Which led us to believe that the symphony crowd is going to die out pretty soon, mm-hmm. and people, unless they like will their season tickets to their grandchildren or even their children, we're going to be. Symphonyless. Symphonyless, which is kind of sad. Like I grew yeah. up listening. I told you that. Like I grew up listening to symphony music. My dad was really into symphony music. We listened all the time. We would go like um, in Pittsburgh. We would go to like the Point State Park, which is where the Three Rivers meet, mm-hmm. and they would always have like summer outdoor concerts. Or like at Fourth of July, we would watch the fireworks to the symphony. Like while the symphony played, it was a whole big thing. Um, so we were, like, I grew up, it wasn't necessarily my favorite. It's not like I, even now. Sometimes right, if I'm yeah. focusing, like, I've I've been known to put on symphony music while I'm I have writing. To, I have to change. Our local NPR station plays symphony music after 8 p.m., but I can't listen to it in the car. After that now? Yeah. You're, you're like, No, no, before life. that. No, before <laughs> that. No, no, no. I just can't. Like, on my own, I wouldn't. It's not something I would put well, on. Well, it's hard, especially if it's if it's late and you're driving somewhere and, you're, like, maybe you're tired. And you're, yeah. Like, all like, of a sudden you're... Ooh. Tchaikovsky comes in and you're like, oh, I'm just going to fall asleep. Yeah. Like Swan Lake is not going to keep me awake. No. But the crowd was interesting because they're all old. But like... It, and the, it, like the atmosphere, I think, is like... You could bring whatever you wanted in, like right. wagons of it, like so whether that was wines or like M16 guns or something like that, which scared me right. a little so this bit. Is, but. This is at Blossom amphitheater i guess is that what it is an amphitheater yeah it's just like a big you know pavilion with a lawn outdoor music venue summer music venue yeah like and typically the type of place where if you go see like a normal concert like i know the day before you said there was a country 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 concert there and then like Mm -hmm. the day after there was a 
whatever, like the, either the black crows or the counting crows. I get them confused. Um, no, you're talking about the, the black keys. No, it was the, the counting keys. It was the black crows or the counting It doesn't matter. Keys. It was it one of matter. those bands. I don't know if it was the people who sing Mr. Jones or the people uh, the who The black crows the broke one. up, so it's not them. Okay. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, rock shows, country shows, but also the Cleveland the Symphony Orchestra is there. But if and, you go for one of those a, like, a shows. A normal show with a band or an artist. You're like, getting like wanded walking in. Right. You have a clear backpack. Or, like, very minimal... Like, you can bring in a bottle of water or something like that. You can bring in your purse, maybe. and we did. Like, we had bottles of water that we grabbed, and we were like, oh, we got to be careful because we want to just have our waters. Right. Not, like, have to toss anything out. But quickly learned the culture is much different. Like, we parked, first off, like, way closer than... I've ever parked before. You would ever park. Like, I've paid for the upgraded parking before there... Yeah, but I was... feel like my paid-for upgrading parking was exactly where we parked. <laughs> Probably. Um, and then we just, like, people were... It, we got there pretty early, and people were already, like, packing in with... Like, we just saw people, like, walking with coolers, and we're like, well, this is different. Yeah. And then there's all these picnic tables that kind of line the entrance before you get to the gates, and there are people. Like, normally those are empty. Like, every now and then you'll see, like, some slackers sitting on the picnic table. Right, yeah, like, exactly. Trying to chug a couple, like, Or waiting to meet their beers. friends or something like that, yeah. Yeah, but these picnic tables were packed with people, and they weren't just sitting there waiting for their buddies. They were legitimately having picnics. Right. Wicker baskets, red tablecloths, full meal picnics, Bottles, of, bottles wine, of wine, glass wine bottles. glasses, yeah. Yeah, and, glass glasses, not even, right. like, plastic glasses. Like, you take on a yeah. boat, I don't know. I'm thinking back on it now still, and it still amazes me. Yeah, and we're, then not we're only, walking in kind of like, well, this is different. Like, Yeah, and not only did we see that walking in, but people were bringing those entire picnics into the venue. So right, there, there was were, no, like, there they were women with ticket. these fried chicken in there. Yeah, they like, were legitimately just eating... A fried well, chicken. Yeah, they brought like in like takeout fried chicken. A box of chicken. fried chicken. Yeah. There was the giant Tupperware container of pasta salad. There was a giant Tupperware container of popcorn. Oh, everyone! Like, and then just bottles and bottles BYO of wine. wine. Yeah, it was it was intense. It was so a we lot. were like total noobs. We were like, oh, we're gonna go get a glass of wine. We go up to the counter. The only option is to get an entire bottle of wine. There's yeah. no glass wine of by wine, the bottle, <laughs> which they put into this like plastic carafe. For you, because for some reason, if you bring your own bottles from the outside, it doesn't matter if they're glass. But if you get it from their facility, it has yeah, to be you need in a complimentary take-home dark horse wine, plastic wine craft, which you no idea. It's probably still rolling around the backseat of your car. I don't know what happened to it, because I've been in the back of my car recently. I haven't seen it. Um, so Yeah, so there's that happened. And then, so we're like, okay, we've got our wine now. We're going to go sit down and... Gets, I got some popcorn because why not? And pretty pumped because it was bottomless popcorn up through intermission. So I was like, right. I'm going to eat all this popcorn now and then get more popcorn because you know how much food is good. So we go in to sit down to where our seats were. And lo and behold, freaking Regina at the gate was like, before you went into the pavilion, she's like, no, you can't take this food in here. Yeah, you couldn't bring food or drinks into the pavilion. As if, like, the night before at the country concert, people weren't bringing in 
all the food and drinks they wanted because they're you're allowed to. But I then, know, I was like, are you afraid a beach ball is gonna like pop up and smash my yeah, bottle at the wine over? Symphony? So we had to go back to the these bleachers in front of the lawn and behind the pavilion and, and chug this bottle of wine and this popcorn. <laughs> That we then snuck down, and we, we were eating the popcorn at set break after that, and they yelled at us, like, you're not supposed to be eating. I don't know. It was a whole it was a whole thing. And during the show... The lady next to us had a piece of pizza. She was, like, a thousand years old. Yeah, from Golden Corral. Yeah, yeah. she went to Golden Corral before the show, and, like, brought, wrapped up a piece of pizza and a napkin was ready to eat it. Yeah, how bizarre. And before she headed out, but there were just people riding trams, and when we were sitting back in those bleachers, this group of like four or five women who were probably like spanning between their late seventies, mid eighties, I'd say they've got two bottles of champagne. They had the pasta salad. Um, not to be confused with the other two ladies who were next to us eating the fried chicken and the bleachers. Right. They had like a whole spread sitting in these bleachers all the champagne. The one lady was knitting. Yeah, she was knitting. I tried so hard to get a blanket. And I was like, when you're trying to get your knitting project done before the show starts. So you can't... Or when you think the weather might cool down a little bit when the sun goes <laughs> down, you need a blanket real quick. Like, shoot, we don't have one. That's all right. Janice has her knitting splash. It's like, real quick. She's got the nimblest fingers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was definitely an interesting experience for sure. Yeah, I, um, that was something. I mean, One that was... I decided that I need to replicate at least one more time but in um like to be prepared so i want to mm. go with a group of friends i want to sit in the lawn yes bring your own seats and sit in the lawn as yeah, a move because that's where there you can were have so your many own... backpack chairs at that yeah. concert like there were like people like around. walking in front of you it was like a wall of backpack chairs you couldn't even get around them so it was like this typical amphitheater like the kind you take to the beach that are low profile to the ground because like lo and behold like Lord forbid you block someone from seeing somebody playing the cello. I don't know. I was just looking at the screen the whole time. I really had to pee by the end too, but they don't let you out, and you don't. If you go out, you can't go back in. It's the whole thing. It was good though. I mean, I was glad we did it. I was glad for uh, to see that that type of crowd exists somewhere in the world. So, but I'm sad that they're going to literally die out. Well, yeah, because <laughs> they're old. That's you know. Sorry. That's, you know, consequences of, of life. It's a circle of life or something. Or the wheel of, the wheel of fortune. Sorry, Gloria. <laughs> Sorry, Gloria, with your pizza. Yeah, she might not be back next summer. But that was definitely, yeah, that was by far of all of the, the things that we did this weekend, even though Hamilton was awesome. Yeah. Prior to Super Cool, I heard a stat on NPR um, on Monday that it was doubled uh, attendance. Oh, wow. This year, and they're thinking um, of moving it. Like, it's getting, like, outgrowing that venue. They're concerned. They should move to Lock 3. Well, they don't want it in downtown Akron because oh. they're worried. Like, they like the community, like, neighborhood feel of Hardesty Park. Oh, okay. And they feel like they can walk down. And they, like, put memos out to the people who live in the neighborhood. And they were like, hey, we've got, like, we're on the street. There's going to be some protesters and some people with some, like, you know, malintent that might be coming around. Like, if you could create a blockade somehow to keep these people out and nobody like fortunately nobody for the event nobody showed up for that yeah like, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't seem like it when we were there there's anything going on yeah we were there late but yeah it was um i thought it was awesome um i wish i would have gone we would have made it to the parade but that was earlier in the day yeah, and the timing early. just didn't necessarily work out excuse right. me work out for that but yeah anyway big weekend it was a big, it was a big weekend, but we made, you know, we made a good team this weekend too, you know, going along, making sure we were 
Making sure we were both safe from the old people drinking wine and uh, <laughs> getting from place to place, going to Hamilton. So yeah, um, that was a horrible segue into what our topic is. But our topic for today, um, from a marketing standpoint, <laughs> is what makes a good marketing team. Um, uh, I see you were trying to tie that together yeah. like, with the team. Yeah, that's where I was going with that to the it. topic. Um, but yeah, job. so what makes a good marketing team? And, and it's a little bit different because a lot of times we talk about marketing strategies and execution and tactics and all sorts of blah, 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 blah. But now we're actually talking about the market, the people side of marketing, um, which I'm kind of excited to do. Which is hard sometimes because like for you, it's just you more or less. Right. I mean, you have the, you know, kind of the buy-in of the sales team or like the, the your uncles and dad who are yeah yeah i mean they've been in the the business for a long time i mean i'm I'm in a position where i'm like just trusted to do what i want as long as it doesn't cost ten thousand dollars right you have to rely kind of on outside sources to do some things that you don't necessarily have within your skill set but like at the same time um oh shoot i just you all right yeah i just like i poked myself in the eye bone the ocular socket. Yikes. Whatever that is. Yeah. Um, well, that's, you know. I, but, so, I, but I work in the team environment. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Um, mm-hmm. I work very much in a team environment. Um, and I kind of work across different teams throughout my career um, in general, not just here where I work now, but um, where I've worked in the past. I've been almost always been, except for uh, one job and part of a larger team. Where I was able to rely on other people with those skill sets and, you know, who were maybe able to fill in gaps where I wasn't competent mm-hmm. or I was able to learn from people, which is my favorite thing. Right. Um, and become a better version of oh, yeah. the myself only, and my job. The only reason I'm equipped to be a one-man marketing crew is because I learned from so many great people for the past two years at my old job. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be able to do these like even design things that I'm doing or stuff like that. If it wasn't for, for Tim or it wasn't for the, um, some of this website stuff that I'm doing, if it wasn't for Brock being intuitive and smart and seeing like, well, there's probably a plugin for this or like, Hey, let's figure this out. Now I kind of know where to look and what to do for things and stuff that I wouldn't have had. I just been on a one track marketing mind, I wouldn't really been able to, to do. So yeah, I definitely, as a single marketing team now, I learned a lot. Um, from when I was with a bunch of smart people. But, you know, I think when I first started, like, reading up on what makes a good marketing team, there are a lot of articles and stuff about what role do you need, what roles do you need on marketing teams. And I was thinking about it, and I'm a little less interested in specific roles like PPs, like ad- advertising specialist and social person and SEO and writer and manager and VP and designer and all these things. I mean, it's all important and blah, blah, blah. But a little less interested in specific roles, and I'd like to take a real quick step back if we're looking at, like, a multi-person team and talk about more about the the type of, of person and the type of, of roles there are. And not when I say type of role, I don't mean specific responsibilities, but uh, more on a more broader sense. So... I, I like to use the example, and it's I know that college to real world isn't always a one-to-one apples-to-apples comparison, and I, I admit that, but my capstone class my senior year, we had a client come in, and we were grouped into groups of like six to seven people, and we had to do a marketing plan for them, everything from like 
brand messaging and like logo and stuff like that to like tactics to carry out, achieve like whatever they told us their goal was. And you know, there you had to assign specific roles. So there was one person was the researcher, one person was this, one person was that, one person was that, one person was the leader. And basically, everyone had claimed a role, and it got back to me. And the only unclaimed role was leader, um, which I accepted because I had, I had been a leader in a past group project, and I was fine with it. But I told him I was like, look. My leadership style is not to tell you what to do, it's to let you do your thing, and if I need to step in um, and give direction, like, I'll give direction, I'll sit in the back, I'll sit here and, like, spitball ideas with everyone, but really I want you guys to own what you're doing. So, uh, Steve, you're the researcher, like, I want you to research the hell out of it and feel like that's that's yours. Like, we're relying on you for the re research, and if you don't do your job on research, we can't do our job on marketing ideas or, or whatever the case might be. So um, I think that's important. So whatever roles there are, it's important to have a manager who lets people perform those roles and take ownership of those roles. And people who are in those other, those lower roles who feel comfortable taking ownership of SEO, of social, of whatever the case may be. So one, one of the things that you just said, which... I think you're glazing over, which is hugely important, and it's actually something that I look at um, a few times in my notes and uh, across several articles that I read, which was the first thing that you did as the leader was that you communicated your leadership style to your team. Mm -hmm. So you very easily could have just sat back and be like, yeah, I'm the leader, and you know that your leadership style is relatively hands-off. Right. But had you not communicated that, like people would have just been sitting there waiting for you to give them direction. Yeah, looking for me to like, or, so what do we do now? <laughs> or there may have been like uh, another, like an emergent leader, which you'll find, like I tend to be emergent leader. Right. In, you know, based off of, the type of group and call like again like back yeah to like if, if there's like no school. one if no one's stepping up or someone's just kind of stuck with it and they're just like they don't really care actually though right you know but my, yeah I know like, what you mean I'm a good big picture person so that's for me like when I think about Betterment the nonprofit that I'm involved with I am the been the coordinator of our big fundraiser for. Mm -hmm. probably this is my maybe my seventh year oh wow of managing this fundraiser or like being like that the main person um but i've always been really lucky to have just really great people who knew what their roles were and it's probably just we've worked into this because we've been doing it so long and some mm -hmm. of the same people have been um able to be like they just know what their job is and they know that i trust them to do it and i'm not going to like push not that they don't push back but well, unless I think it's, unless you're meeting a deadline, unless you're missing a deadline or something needs to, right, right. needs to happen, but or a decision if there's really like a conflict within the group that needs yeah. resolved or direction needs to be given or something like that. And we're part of a board, so obviously right. things of larger scale are going to go just to, you know clear for the board just to make sure it's nothing that's right. voted upon. But it's that like it, it's funny when I look at the different roles that I have in my personal life where. I'm very comfortable and confident in my work with the nonprofit and that event and the people that I work with because I work with people who I trust and like I said, I know they're going to get the job done or that my passion kind of lies in that area. So um, not that I don't want to do a job at the job that I get paid for. Right. <laughs> Obviously, you want to do the best work that you can, but I feel, like I said, I feel confident and I feel empowered to do my job and to lead that event with 
nobody questioning things. Right. And I'm not a good um, subordinate. Like I'm, I don't ask for like I'm a forgiveness rather than permission kind of right. person. Yeah, I me too. <laughs> typically don't follow like the protocol. I'm like usually just kind of go. I'm like the person that I'm going rogue from time to time. Right. Well, I think when you have a team, then whether you're the leader or someone who's who's a subordinate, so to speak, um, one thing that I really like about about a good team structure is to establish a sense of creativity and collaboration rather than hierarchy. Um, so if people think that they need to get approval from this person, this person, this person, or it's not okay for them to have an idea in a meeting or something like that, then you're kind of going to flatline a little bit. I mean, sure, if the, if the head of your body is a genius and they have all the best ideas, maybe it's going to work out. But even in the sense like Tesla right now, like Elon Musk is, he's brilliant, he's super smart, um, he has awesome ideas and he's executing some of them, but he's also kind of unhinged and um unfocused and stuff like that so and and the board is just kind of like looking to him and they're they're confused but i think when you have a team like i when i was leader i go back to like i i didn't establish myself as above people i established myself as one of them and we each had our own specific roles and tactics and stuff that we needed to do so we we established a collaborative approach rather than a hierarchical hierarchical approach I'm looking to you Hierarchical. for yeah. I'm looking to you for pronunciation there, but you're looking at your phone. Um, <laughs> Hierarchical was is the word. Sorry. Yeah, instead of hierarchy, um, and I think that worked really well because then everybody felt if we felt that an idea, if the whole group, I remember multiple times where like 75 percent of the group was on board, and then one or two people would say, "Hey, I don't think that's a good idea, and here's why." But we all listened to them, and a lot of times we changed. I think there was something we we ended up changing a lot of stuff at the very end and doing a lot better than we did. And we couldn't have done that without trusting each other and um, having that collaborative approach. So, yeah, and that's one of the so in one of the things that I had read or the notes that I took, um, we were talking about like just making sure that your team is able to work autonomously. Um, whether it's with management or within the group itself, um, focus on the strengths within your group. Yeah. So, you know, when you're not... And own those when you're strengths, in, you know. Like I mean, when you're in college and you're just assigned a group of five people right. who aren't necessarily, like, you don't get to decide whose skill set is, is what, but if you have or you're in the position to build a team... You want to look at that team. You want to focus on their strengths. You want to build a team that fills the gaps of either areas where you're not comfortable with or, you know, people who you know excel in certain things. So it's like, except maybe I'm a high-level person, but I'm also kind of a details person too. Um, So I'm I'm a little bit different in that respect, but I believe me, I've worked with plenty of high-level people who I, as the kind of worker bee in that group, project, if you will, or in that work environment, will be the person who's constantly taking notes, constantly following up, constantly saying to that like high-level person, like, hey, do you need this? Hey, can I help you with this? Hey. Because right. you can tell like they're a leader, but they're not necessarily a great leader, and they haven't done a really good job of empowering the people within their team to fill those gaps, or they've identified those gaps in their own leadership style. Mm-hmm. Um or well, not communicated them, and like you said, like that's the thing where you, if you're if you're able to communicate that and say like, hey, 
this is my style. I'm, I'm going to let you guys do what you do. Come back to me in right. a week and present what you found. Then cool. Um, but, yeah. but if you're, if, if you're in the position to build a team or work on a project together and say you're, you know, working like I, like I work at an agency or if you work in a corporate facility, you know, a corporate environment where maybe you have multiple people and you're able to kind of build this ad hoc group to complete a project Make sure the people who are within your group are filling those gaps either where your skill set doesn't allow, um, you know, or something that you just don't know how to do. Like you, I'm not a graphic designer. Right. That's um, a, that's I'm always going to make sure I have I a mean, graphic designer on my team. I'm going to have somebody who's visual or like kind of has that like vis- that vision that I don't have. Right. Um, and then again, like whatever. Yeah. Like writing, I'm an okay writer, but I'm not an excellent writer. I'm wordy. Right. For sure. So I'm going to make sure I've got somebody who's able to have and design and create really succinct messaging and, you know, take the eight paragraphs that I write and condense it into two sure. really great bullet points because that's pretty much how I write. Yeah. I think, yeah, exactly. And when, when you're talking about that, like, I'm not analytical, I'm more on the high level uh, creative side. So if I were to build a team, I would need someone who's good with data. I'm not a video or graphics person, so I need someone with that. And I think a lot of those aspects, it's important to have those people doing their own little things, but I also think it's important to have overlap. So it's okay for a data person to work with a content person or a video person to work with a graphic design person and stuff like that. But I think the most important thing when you're when you're on a team, and I, I kind of said it before, but I want to emphasize it again, is to take something, a piece of whatever, own that piece, whether it's video, writing, um, SEO, social, whatever, and own it, be really good at it, and feel like that's yours. Like, you know, you may not own the company, you may not own this project or whatever, but that SEO piece, is that's on you, and so you want to do it really well. And yeah. get better at it over over time, you know. Don't just like you own SEO, so you need to keep getting better at SEO. Um, and and, and, and I think establishing yourself. establishing that type of the goal within your team too, of not just finishing a project, but bettering yourself along the way. And I think like making that's that's something, and it's a good way to maybe deal with a leader who's not great at allowing you to just do your thing. Is kind of like make yourself indispensable in some way mm-hmm. um, that shows that person or the team where they're consistently going back to you and saying like, "All right, hold on a second. Like, I know we need measurement here. I know we need reports. I know we need SQL data pulled out of this random database that we use, and we don't know anything about that." Like, I don't know anything. About I, that. I mean, that's like a weird <laughs> thing that I like. I personally, I think we were just talking about that randomly. Um, or maybe I was recently, like, where I was part of a group project. I learned how to pull SQL-type reports, and it, like, pretty much landed me a job further down in my career because I knew how to do it, and I was able to streamline processes and make myself kind of that person that was like, oh, we need a report, where, like, other departments would be like, oh, you did that report for this, like, and you were able to take this data, but you also have kind of this creative vein where you can like make it look attractive and pull the data and put it into a chart yeah. <laughs> or put Ooh. it into a presentation put this thing in a pie chart this girl's crazy like, present- hire her <laughs> listen you would think that it shouldn't be that difficult but when you work in like corporate america 
it kind of it's like, weird. This, is, this isn't an Excel spreadsheet. This the, is amazing. Yeah, it's different in the agency world because they're you're kind of working with creatives in yeah. general. So you kind of everyone has that skill set. So a lot of times you're able to take your data and right. give somebody your pie chart, give somebody your numbers and they'll like make it look better than you could mm-hmm. but when you're like i think a lot of times when you're in corporate america it's so different where you can take this people just don't understand or have the <laughs> the skills that they're understanding to make things look great right um, no, I, I hear you and that's important too i mean that's you know and that's you're a type of person who's good to have on a team and because you're a constant learner so you took that thing that you didn't know how to do you learned how to do it and then you applied other skills that you already had and the creative side to it. And, and that's what works really well for you because you, you're able to establish yourself as someone who's necessary. And, you know, leadership looked to you and was was happy about it. And I kind of I kind of want to pivot from the team approach because we're, we're talking about a lot about, like, six, seven-person teams. But then I go to, to me and my situation now, and like I said, I'm a, I'm a one-person team. And occasionally I have to, I have to reach out to, to outside sources to do some stuff and, and budget for that. But it's, it's doable for small teams and, and one person teams, but you know, you have to, there's a couple of things you need when, when there's only one of you or two of you. And, and the first thing I think is know your strengths. Um, yeah. For me, my strengths are writing, marketing strategy, um, and just learning in general and digital for the most part. So like I'll, most of my efforts are spent on our website or on our Facebook page or Google or something like that um, because that's where my strengths lie. And on the flip side of that, um, no, spend time on what works. So I found that digital marketing for the company that I work at has worked really well. Um, it aligns with my skill set. So that's the twofer right there. So I'm spending time on what I'm not only what I'm good at, but also what's working well for us while also dabbling a little bit of time in print, just making like a brochure here and there for what we need, which I can do. But I'm spending most of my time on stuff that I'm good at and stuff that's driving um, real results for for the company I need for the company that I work for. But all that being said, hire outside help when needed. I mean, you know, I've talked on this podcast a lot about the video we've done, we mm-hmm. did in the past, and obviously I couldn't do that on my own. I've shot you know, crude, like, videos of me standing there with a the floor mat saying, like, hey, we raised a bunch of money. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what the date was. But it why is w- a day. Today is a day. Why would I have ever known the date? Um, that's a fun video. Go to my personal Facebook page, and you could watch that video, and I'll just have them laugh at me for not knowing what the date is, but trying to say it anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, ask for help, whether it's within the company, um, someone who kind of maybe has a little bit of vibe or teach someone to do something um because i have some spare time or whatever or if it's like a big video project and you're not a videographer some of the stuff like it's just better time and money better spent to have somebody else do it for you for whatever they charge um rather than trying to teach yourself like if i were to don't be afraid to put a value on your time right so like you know i work in the agency world so i work kind of in that billable hours mindset Mm -hmm. and it's kind of i've actually like put that into my personal life in some aspects of, <laughs> like, okay, so I could do this. Honey, but... you wasted $320 of my time. <laughs> right. Like, but if I think about... Like, like a lawyer. Every time I pick up the phone, it's $1,000. <laughs> right. 
I could load the dishwasher myself, but my time is worth way more than no. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying like basic things, but there are things that I kind of get hung up on that I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to read an article or watch a YouTube video and figure out how to put this. Prime example. I just ordered some bunk beds, basically, mm-hmm. and they will be here next week. I am not excited about putting them together. Oh, yeah. I've it's, been in situations... Sounds miserable. ...putting things together with myself. I'll offer to help, but, like, I'm Don't. not going to be myself. I have been in situations with multiple people putting things together with directions. I actually went back and read the reviews, which the thing had really great reviews, but I had also, like, some people were like, but just so you know, the direction's not that great. I oh, took gosh. three, like, people, one of, of whom is an engineer, like, three hours to put these together. So here I am, like, now, I've made this commitment. Um, I've you already bought it. Bed, oh, no. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I think I'm going to hire somebody to put them together. Yeah. Like, I have a friend whose husband is a handyman. His hourly rate is not terrible. Like... And for my time, I don't like, hate that. I don't hate that idea. For him to come over, he would probably take an hour, maybe two tops. And for me, like, is it worth one hundred and twenty dollars or one hundred and fifty dollars to have him come to my house and put these beds together? One hundred percent. Oh yeah, that Easily. is probably going to be. If I were trying to do that myself or do that, with, like a like, whole day. I'm not even going to include you in this equation because. I'd be useless you even if drill. I was here, yeah. I don't know a drill. You don't know a drill. Right. Like, I have a screwdriver. Borrow a drill from a neighbor or find somebody who's handy. I mean, so I like either have to rely on finding some random friend who's handy and has a drill, or I'm going to like be by myself trying to put this piece of furniture together like that, you know, I don't want like my child to be sleeping in this bunk bed and then it's not screwed together, right? So it collapses. Yeah. Like, it's like that scene in Step Brothers where they build the bunk beds, and it's like as soon as they hop on there, it's just <laughs> right. like a thing just collapses. I think the whole point that that collapsed because it wasn't actually bunk beds that they used to fashion bunk beds, but <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But you could have the same result if you don't build your real bunk beds correctly. Yeah, so, so like I think like I put a value to my time, and right. the, like the seven to eight hours it would probably take me for to, real. Like, put I mean, those that's together. that's like a whole Saturday or Sunday that you're just, or you take a day off for work out of that Monday because you didn't finish it. You know, like no, I'm gonna hire somebody, yeah, hundred percent. For no, that that's job. exactly. So the same thing. Don't be afraid to do that in your in your workplace too. So or, right. or in your personal life, however you're doing it, you know, give your give your time a value, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even look it up, do some research on what you believe that your time should be valued at. Like I said, I work in an agency, so we kind of have like a billable hour rate that I look to. But I kind of have apply that to my personal life as well right i mean it's not um, it's that's not a bad way to do it i mean i it's the same way i mean that's i probably I, can't I bill can't, for like my personal time no, the same no. as they're billing but i use the same equation and the same dollar amount just because it's no it's easy I'm not to, good at math. yeah it's easy to do that one-to-one yeah exactly i mean i sit there and and just today i i wanted to talk about some animated videos which i can't animate at all i wouldn't know the first thing of how to do it other than you're supposed to use some Adobe program that I have that don't that I don't know how to use. Um, so yeah, and I reached out to a friend of mine from high school who's doing it really well, um, and you know he he gave me a price, and we're going to talk about it. But for whatever price he gave me, it's infinitely better than if I tried to learn animation and then make a video because it'd still be worse, and it would take me like weeks to do it. Something that he could do in a day. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> 
So exactly. Don't be afraid to do that because you're probably going to get a better product and it's the cost is going to be less than it would cost for you to try to do something you didn't know how to do. Right. And spin your wheels taking away from time that you could have been doing something else. That you actually know how to do. Yeah. Like you could probably write like 16 blog posts, if not more. Right. In the time that it would take you to learn how to use this program and create this right. thing, and that's and that's not to say that learning isn't good. Like I said, I've I've no, learned I've learned a lot of things that I've applied. I've learned how to work on websites in a way that's more meaningful than like creating pages or something like that. I've learned how to do some design stuff. I've learned how to become a better writer for web. I've learned how to be a better um, social media advertiser. Do all these things. But some some projects are just too big to bite off, especially if you don't have any sort of background in them. Like video is something that it's not like, well, I read a blog post on how to do video animations, and now I'm just gonna go try it, like, and it's gonna be great, because yeah. um, that's just not the case because I don't have any sort of background in it. So, so yeah, I have a couple general points about the type of people and the type of teams um, that that um, marketers and business owners should be hiring and, and looking for, um, that I can start diving into, but that's kind of after that, that's, that's the end of my notes. So it looks like you have a lot of notes there that aren't crossed <laughs> off. So if you want to, I do. if you want to start trucking through, um, some of the more important points, let's, let's have at it. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't necessarily know that they're important points, but they're points nonetheless. Um, <laughs> That you say, come on, prop yourself up. You got no. some important stuff to say. No, I do think they're. I really, I truly, truly think that they are a very important part. <laughs> um, but I want to start. They're not statistics because I was like really just trying to rack my brain to, and read lots of articles to find statistics on this topic, and I couldn't find any good statistics. But I found some really great quotes and a couple I, of yeah, really think, great articles. So yeah, I, I think wanna, quotes are more apropos for for this topic. Yeah, and I'm going to find this first quote, and it's a gentleman named David Ogilvy, and I can't think of the name. The company is is Curate Labs, so I'm assuming that he's the owner or the president of this Curate Labs company. They're a European company or Canadian. They're somewhere, like they're not here, mm-hmm. um, but they have a whole sub-domain or sub-site that's dedicated to their... Um, core values and how they operate. So there was a quote on this website from this David Ogilvy, and if I'm wrong, then maybe somebody else can tell me that no, they, looked, they actually looked up this guy's name and found out who he was. It does matter. Um, it does matter. <laughs> um, but his quote was, hire people who are better than you, who are better than you are, then leave them to get on with it. Look for people who will aim for a remarkable, who will not settle for routine. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty big, um, and it led me to another point that I read in another article, um, which is that being good at your job doesn't make you a manager, which I think is yeah, that was so a- important. Um, you know, it doesn't make you a leader. I've been in many, many situations across the the breadth of my career over uh, many years. I don't know that ought was the right word, but all the years. And I have seen people be promoted who were indeed good at their jobs and who probably had dollar signs in their eyes and felt like if I get this management job or this promotion that I'm going to get more money, but they're not necessarily a great leader or a great manager. They're just you, really good at their job. Or maybe they didn't even want to be a manager, but they needed to make more money for their family or something like that. Right. You know? And then you have to make a decision at that yeah, point. Yeah, that was, that was the article. I love that article you said to me. It was... It was from like the human oh. uh, whatever lady from Facebook, 
Yeah, I've got two. I've got that's my two points here. No, yeah, it was. Well, no, I I won't. But I just I love the way that they they said like some people aren't don't want to be managers or aren't meant to be managers. You need to find a way to raise them up in the company in a way that makes sense for them. Yeah, because a lot of times easy. you feel like financially, like that's your next move is like, well, I'm not going to get to that next, especially in corporate, the corporate world, like you're not going to get to that next pay grade or that next level of like tiered titles. Yeah, exactly. Without becoming a manager. Right. So instead of just rewarding somebody for continuously doing their job, in a kick-ass way and maybe they're able to train people or show other people how to do their job or streamline processes um, or do things that make other people's lives better or just the company better in general like again that person maybe has no aspirations to ever be a manager but they just feel stuck in this environment because right they don't know where else they can go there's no growth right and and they want to see you know they want to see their their efforts rewarded financially, right? Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be a manager, right? Yeah, entitled. Exactly. So that that article that I first read came from um, IDOU, which is I think a super cool website. If you've never looked at their website, um, they do a lot of like thought leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually sign up and buy their thought leadership program. It's super expensive. But I think it's really cool. So once I kind of learned more about the organization and the company, um, I was like really behind it. And now I'm on their newsletter list. But I actually read their newsletters that come in. Um, but there was a whole thing. And I think that the um, – I can't remember the title of the article, but – it was um, what Facebook learned about motivation in the modern workplace, actually, because I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about another article that I read about empathy in the workplace, which was interesting, and it tied to some of the statistics that I read. Um, but my my three bullet points from that necessarily from that piece of it, um, which I think makes Facebook kind of a good blueprint for how you should be treating your employees. Um, in the first place was, if you read this article, um, the first thing that they mentioned is that Facebook gives their employees surveys twice a year. Mm-hmm. So, number one, they're already doing way more than most other companies are Yeah, doing. they're getting feedback from yeah, their employees, they are especially in a huge company like yeah, that. They're serving their employees who, granted, their company is all about customer experience or user experience. The or community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Secondly, is that they actually use the employee feedback that they collect um, to make their workplace better. Business decisions, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so not only are they asking people for their feedback, because I've been in companies where I've been given like, like, the opportunity good. to You're fill, like, out, yeah, like, I a fill out the survey, but then nothing changes. You're like, what did I do that right. for? <laughs> so like, there are, are people whose job it is to actually take the data that they collect from these surveys and make changes within the organization. Yeah. Um, and then the last item um, is that this type of culture or this type of work environment, um, it almost creates unwritten expectations and obligations between employers and employees. So by empowering people or by, I don't want to say empowering, but by asking people for their feedback, they're really saying like, 
They expect you to act on their feedback. Yeah, like, I've given you this feedback, and I would love for you to implement that. But if you implement that, and the onus is on me to actually perform and do the thing that I thought, like, if I said, again, one of the things, and I didn't necessarily write down, was how they will create jobs and job titles for For people people based on the feedback that they're receiving. So, again, kind of like you said, or like we talked about, where you're not necessarily made to be a manager, but you're like, hey, I could be the blah, blah, blah lead and kind of take over this portion of something that doesn't necessarily right. I could take on greater responsibilities people. where I have more projects that I don't have more people to manage. Right. <laughs> and that's where, again, like, so they're like, yeah, sure, I'm going to create this job that you wanted and then I'm going to allow you to do it. So now you got to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And then this person's going to be like, holy shit, like I don't have to manage people. I'm getting a raise. I've got this new job title. And it's like pretty much, I think I wanted to like go back to the first podcast where I talked about like the time that I had the epiphany and I told my boss, like I woke up one day and it was like, had an epiphany. I created a job for myself that doesn't exist here. Right. And I more or less wrote out the entire job description. And then my boss was like, sure let's do it and found a way for me to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, again, I will maintain probably one of the best work environments and bosses that I've ever had in my career. Um, back to my Mettler Toledo days. Mettler Toledo. They get all the free advertising. They do. Then, you know, it scales. (laughs) But the other thing which really made me think again about Mettler Toledo and something that we talked about is every single article that I have read talked about culture. And finding people when you want to find good employees and you want to interview employees before you bring them on to, um, into your, your fold or hire them to do work or whatever is making sure that those people fit within your culture. And sometimes that's, if you are a large well, I think company, it starts with having a good culture. So if you an established good culture, right, an established yeah, exactly. culture or core so you values, keep, you don't know who's going to fit into your culture if you don't have one. And if your culture sucks, you're going to keep hiring people who suck. So yeah. yeah, I think establishing a great culture is the starting point, and then picking picking people who fit into that um, is super important. Right. So I talked about like again back to the core values of like the place that I worked at was Butler Toledo, which they had the core values plaster of the walls you knew what those core values were and every day you were trying to do the best job that you could so that you stayed within those core values. Um, but one of the, a couple of things, again, I think it's that same article, um, which they talked about, um, interviewing people to work to find out like if they fit within their culture or within the company. Um, which I know you and I talked about for a minute, which was like... Oh, the, the interview yeah. question? Yeah, the interview question of tell me about your best day at work. Yeah, I thought that was an awesome interview question because then they and tried... we to, took it, like, we, you and I took it in different... I went to my ideal day at work because think, on the spot, what was your best day at work? That's I'm like, I don't know. There was one but, day where I went out and hit golf balls for three hours. That was great. And then there was another day where I did this awesome thing and someone told me good job. Like, so... Yeah. What is that? Like, did you write a piece of code that you've been, like, stuck on for a while and all of a sudden Yeah, did you, you solve a problem? Did, you, did you give a presentation? Did you write something? You know, yeah. like... It doesn't matter. Like, in that, like, you saying, like, I somebody told me a good job could just lead somebody to say, like, okay, this is the type of person who one's encouragement and will thrive in that environment. And when they work with a lot of people who are super encouraging and... Right. 
like they're going to do better work when they're being encouraged. So, yeah, um, but yeah, also, I, I, I really like that question. So that was yeah. that was good. But I went to my ideal day. So. Right, and I went <laughs> to like I was going for like oh I don't know like what was my best day at work? Like gosh, I, I have no idea. It's like you know. Right. So many years of work experience. Like, right. And that's, ask I, me to like, yeah. pinpoint this one time. That's that why, that's like, why I went ideal because it was just too hard. <laughs> uh, but the other questions were like, what do you want out of this job? Yeah. Um, and what do you want to learn? What do you want to learn? Yeah. And how can I help you? Yeah. Super, achieve those super goals. positive and forward thinking questions, which I really liked. Not just like, what are your skills? How are you going to do this yeah. stuff? Well, like, and that's, uh, I actually need to. I don't know where we are time-wise, but one of the things I wanted to um, talk about where the, like I said, the article that I was reading, which is, and I'll tell you the name of the article because you actually have to download it. Um, we use Teamwork at Work, which is a project management tool. Um, so a lot of our projects that we are doing are all tracked in Teamwork. Um, we're assigning, you know, all the people, whatever. Um, but so I was reading Teamwork's blog and I ran across this blog post, which was the seven secret ingredients to great B2B marketing teams. So look that up, go to Teamwork, look up this blog. You'll have to put your email address in to actually get the full PDF, um, download white paper. But I thought that it was actually kind of worth it to provide that information, um, but that first bullet point, which was higher for corporate culture, which I've already talked about a little bit, um, I thought was huge, but there was a quote, sorry, that I wanted to read. I love quotes. I'm sorry. Stop making your faces. Which is, <laughs> cultural fit is possibly the most important because I can train for the rest of it. There are some roles where I'm prepared to train. There are some roles where I'm not. And this is Peter Bell, who is the... Um, something at Marketo, so I could look up a little bit higher if I wanted to find out who, what his actual title is at Marketo, but um, if you're at all in the digital space and you've heard of Marketo, um, then you know who he is, but yeah, so he, I thought that was a, a really, like, just a succinct kind of point on culture in general, because there there are things that you can learn. You know, mm -hmm. it used to be, especially in digital marketing, we've talked about this, like it used to be like this secret sauce that nobody understood or knew or you had to have web developers in place doing the work because you didn't have a um, CMS that was intuitive enough for you to be able to put H1s and H2s and <laughs> meta descriptions and page titles and that like goes back to my early career. Right. Um, but when you've got good people in place who are doing great work and I look at like what I'm doing now and you might not, you know, you might have some writing background, but you don't necessarily have experience writing page titles and meta descriptions or, and, and that's kind of you, I guess, before your internship. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't necessarily know a lot about that, but you were... I knew nothing about digital marketing. Yeah. I thought, uh, I had no idea what it was well, you by had, any like, stretch you of the had, imagination. You had like clear writing skill and you were teachable and you fit kind of into our culture. So it's so much easier when you have somebody who's easy to work with and friendly and motivated and motivated and gets along with their coworkers because it's believe me you can have people who are motivated who suck right yeah exactly and don't fit into your culture and those people are toxic right 
So believe me, I'm, I'm sure anybody listening or anywhere has worked in an environment where it only takes one toxic person to bring down yeah, giant the whole, departments. The whole organization. So you hire somebody, you know, or a leadership hired someone new and without that mindset of how is this person going to fit into our culture, whether they're somebody just on the front lines or somebody in management, it doesn't matter. If they're not a good fit for the culture of your company, they are going to create a work environment that is just not great for anybody, no matter how good they are at their job. Right. So I think on that note, I kind of wanted to finish up here with the with the type of people that, that make for, and the type of teams that make for really good uh, marketing results. And one of the first things that I wrote down is you need people who are forever learners. Like in marketing is always changing. Absolutely. You can't have somebody who's um, going to rest on their laurels and say, I learned how to do this 10 years ago and this is how I still do it. You need to be forever learners. I know Chelsea and I both are sending articles back and forth every day about new things that are changing in the industry, new ideas and stuff like that. And this podcast alone, then, I feel like, has opened my... Yeah, and this know, podcast... I kind for, of started to, like, not necessarily rest on my laurels, but I got a little lazy. Right. In it, it happens, though. But this <laughs> podcast has forced us both to stay fresh on marketing. Like, when we're thinking about topic ideas, we're trying to think about both evergreen topics that, that can happen forever, but also we've done some episodes based on something that, like, recently happened in marketing and stuff like that. Or so, if you're reading blog articles <laughs> and it's, like, published any time before 2017, especially in the digital right, space. Right, yeah, skip like, right over those. <laughs> I'm just never going to read that. Like, 2015, no. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's not the same. <laughs> exactly. So you need people who are forever learners who are interested in this field and interested in bettering themselves. Um, and you need people who are motivative and creative and creative is, is something that everyone's looking for. You need these creatives. Everything needs to be creative and awesome, but you also need to be creative and business minded. Um, so you need to be creative with a purpose. So you can't just be like spending your time frivolously creating things, um, that aren't really going to have a real impact on your business. So I think there's, there's the side of like that creative artist writer type, but it needs to be kind of crossed with that, like business-minded and strategic goals with a with a goal in mind. So when I'm thinking about doing animated videos for my company, I'm not doing it because I like video animation or something like that. I'm doing it because I think it's going to help us sell to more customers. Right. Well, and you're thinking about maybe the channels that you can push that content out to. Right. I can I can put, can put it on our website. Email. I can put an email. I can use it on social. They right. can do it. Use it in sales calls. So. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about all those different things, and it's not just. I'm not creating for the sake of creating. I'm sake, I'm creating um, with a business goal in mind. Um, and then I think you need diverse skill sets. So, not everybody can do the same thing, and and people can teach each other dif different things. And you can kind of have a whole breadth of knowledge and information. Um, and diversity in general, and also in personalities and even demographics is important too. Like I don't think that. It should be all white males on a team or even all black females or something like that. I think diversity in terms of demographics and personality um, is important. And even different parts of the country, if you can do remote teams and stuff like that, having that different perspective, especially if you're a national brand, um, it's going to bring a lot of value because your customers aren't um, one track either. So that the different demographics are going to bring bring a lot of value and then just good listeners people who are not only motivated and feel okay to speak up but also people who can listen to your audience other people on their team mm -hmm. and take that take that advice and actually do something with it so 
Um, that, that's kind of just general traits that I think work really well in our field. Um, and really any, any field. I mean, none of those are, none of those traits are bad. Sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> and your kind of your, your comments got me into like one very last bullet point, which I'll be really fast on. Um, <laughs> take your time. You're good. Because there are, you know, a part of learning or, or, or growth as a business is to decide to install new software or, Use a new CMS. Right, be or, open to new tools. Um, but at the same time, yeah, be open to new tools and be open to new processes, but understand and be okay with the fact that it's not going to be perfect the first time. So if you put together this new process where, like, hey, we're all going to sit together in a room and brainstorm, probably the first, like, eight times it happens is just going to be people complaining about the things that they don't like about whatever project that you're working on. Mm-hmm. But once people kind of get that junk out of their brains, because that's really what you're giving them is this forum to just bitch about things Talk and shit. want to make things better. Cause you're usually, you know, if you've assembled the right team, you're assembling a lot of really passionate people who just want to make things better. Right. Um, and it starts with pointing out the things that suck. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it does. And, you know, it's kind of hard to get past that. And a lot of people make that a stop or they're like, well, that meeting sucked because all they did was bitch about things. But that's not necessarily the case. So you kind of have to keep on fighting the good fight and give people the opportunity to feel like they're being heard. And if you are that leader, whether you're emergent leader or the identified leader, that you're communicating those things, kind of tying it back to what we said at the very beginning, which is, hey, here I am, I'm the leader of this project, I trust you as a designer, I trust you as a developer, I trust you as a writer to do the best thing as possible for this project, and if that means that we need to spend this hour hearing you, like, airing grievances, then we're going to do that, but just know that next time we meet, I want, like, I've got a clearly defined agenda, and these are the things that we need to accomplish, and this is what I expect to accomplish in that meeting. Yeah. Um. And again, like I said, it's not going to be perfect the first time. It's going to, not going to be perfect the second time. Maybe the third or fourth time it's not going to be perfect. But you're going to get there because when you have the right people in place. Well, that's the thing. You have to be confident in your team. You have to trust them and give them ownership and not after one misstep or something that you see as a misstep, stop, like just smash everything because yeah. you're like not okay. There's no flipping tables. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially after one try. So. Oh, man. Gosh. I know. You're like, you're look, you're going to give me the look because I saw this awesome quote, which I thought was super cool. We'll end it. We'll end it on this quote. Can we end good, on this yeah, quote? that's a good way to do it. Okay, good. We're going to end it on this quote once I find it because I think when you're in the corporate world or you're part of a project and something sucks or something goes awry and you're just like, you know, you're so passionate about what happened and then it doesn't work out well, it just is enough to make you want to just be done with everything. I don't even know where it came from. It's like probably like some Pinterest quote, whatever. But it says, being negative only makes a difficult journey more difficult. You may be given a cactus, but you don't have to sit on it. Nice. Yeah. So, like, I saw that and I was like, so true. Like, so many times we're given that cactus and you can just put it on your desk and use it as a reminder that something sucky happened or that you've got a succulent and it's pretty and the flower's going to form. Or you can sit on it and have spikes in your ass and be pissed off all day. <laughs> and you don't necessarily, you know, it's kind of hard to get out of your own head, especially if something bad happens or if you fail at a project or I don't right. know, anything. It doesn't matter. Anything we've talked about. 
um, doesn't necessarily work out in your favor, but it's all about your attitude and people appreciate people who have a good attitude and they want to work with people who have a good attitude. So, um, just keep on fighting the good fight. Keep on keeping on. On that note. Yeah, it is. This is Drunk Marketing. I said that too soon. Yeah. <laughs> this is Drunk Marketing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm Connor. I'm Chelsea. Cheers. Cheers.